Welcome to episode 46 of How About Them Huskies. I'm Connor and I'm joined by Andrew and are the two-man show here. But it's another big episode. I feel like I say that at the beginning of every single one. But <laughs> the Huskies have another trophy. They won the Empire Classic this past weekend. They beat Indiana in the semifinals and beat Texas in the championship. Number 15 Texas, I might add. Most notably, both by double digits. So the historic streak, which is now at 22 consecutive double-digit non-conference wins, is still alive and the record modern day record at least is 23 and so the next two games against Manhattan we'll talk about in a little bit and then New Hampshire those are two very winnable double digit games so this is a pretty good chance we'll see the Huskies break that record for most consecutive double digit not conference wins but first let's talk about the Empire Classic Andrew how'd you how'd you feel about the overall how the Huskies did overall well, it started off kind of weird, you know, that first game against Indiana is really, really defensive. Like, it, it, I saw a lot of tweets that said both of these teams suck. No, it was just really, really good, hard basketball being played, hard defense, just everything about that game was really good, obviously, until we started to pull away. You know, Indiana got into some foul trouble, obviously. Got, they got they got really screwed by the fouls at one point, but – uh. In general, I'm just really happy with the way we played because we were definitely down at some points in that Indiana game. Not down score-wise, but, you know, down, like, as a group. But we we came back and won another trophy. So I'm really, really happy with the weekend as a whole, honestly. Yeah, we could start talking about that Indiana game a little bit. I was at the game at the Garden. There was a lot of Indiana fans, a lot more than I expected. They were in it. They were loud. A lot, lot of red. I feel like... There could have been some Louisville in that red mixed in, just looking yeah. green, but it was mostly Indiana. And like you mentioned, the foul trouble for them, Xavier Johnson, their starting point guard, and their only real like true veteran ball handler, he picked up his third foul like 11 minutes in. So they were screwed from the get-go that way. But there, one theme I noticed between both games, and that's I, weird we're starting with a negative, I noticed, but I feel like there's the positive speak for themselves. Alex Caravan kind of, not struggled defensively, but Malik Renault, he had 18 points when Caravan was his primary guarder. And then Dylan Mitchell had a career night for Texas. It's just these more athletic, bigger forwards that are giving him trouble. I mean, obviously last year we talked about it a little bit last year with Hopkins and some of the other guys in the Big East. But I think that's a problem that shouldn't be too shouldn't linger too much, especially Klingon when he's 100%. He'll be in there to help a little bit as well. But Overall, just a, a great weekend defensively and offensively, especially without Stefan Castle. I was a little worried to see how they'd be against real competition without him, but I, I feel like they were they passed the test for me. Yeah, you know, Caravan, he had very obviously very good offense in this this tournament, but if he wants to be a first rounder, which I think he can, Jeff Goodman thinks he won't, you know, who cares about what he says, but hey. Yeah, we got guest anyway. appearance. Guest appearance. No more two man show. Anyway, so Carabin just definitely has to work on his defense because that was an issue all throughout the first game and even sometimes in the second too. It's just these these guys are just all so much faster than him. He doesn't react quick enough. So I feel like it is weird starting off with a negative, but that's definitely what he's got to work on for sure. Yeah, but his three point shooting. I mean, at the Garden, obviously it's an NBA arena. The Knicks play there. There's the NBA three-point line. He's taken some of these deep threes from well beyond that NBA line. I mean, obviously, that's huge for him. Obviously, there's a bunch of scouts there 
I think he can be a first rounder. I know guys like Jeff Goodman said he can't be. Goodman had some interesting Huskies comments over the weekend. I feel like they kind of kind of proved him wrong, but yeah, New or not Newton. Caravan was great shooting. Spencer Newton Newton had a very good game against Indiana. Overall, everybody stepped up and played their role, and it was a different different star each game, which I think is important too. Yeah, and I figured I just walked in here on this uh, Alex Caravan. Uh, topic of discussion and I remember during the game I, I I was just impressed you know just like this game and going back to last March and last season how consistent he is you know what you're going to get at Alex Caravan and I feel like a lot of uh scouts and you know NBA teams know that they know that he can consistently hit these jumpers whether they're open or not he can create space off the ball he's a very good very consistent player and I I'm pretty sure I said we're looking at some of the best college talent here I feel like we've seen in a long time um I can't remember the last time we really were pushed around or had much trouble uh, taking opponents down. I'm really excited to see how we hold our own against Kansas and whatnot. But I feel like, you know, Newton, Caravan, Klingon, these group of guys here are just outstanding. And I feel like, you know, we're looking at a potential back-to-back run. Yeah, definitely. And also the role players like Solo Ball, Hassan Diara, Diara especially had a huge tournament especially in that second game I felt like he was a part of a lot of big plays he had a lot of steals he had that lob to Samson we'll get to Samson next but just Diara was a guy who couldn't even crack the rotation in the final four last year now he's arguably our most crucial piece off the bench it's just the experience he has there and ball as well ball had a couple of big putback dunks he hit a couple I think he hit at least one three in each game and I think we can go to Samson Johnson I mean obviously he had his coming out party against Texas. Obviously, the Texas didn't have Caden Shedrick, who had 27 points the night before. I see all the Longhorns fans; they're they're complaining. It's like, oh, it's we would have won if we had him. Maybe they would have. I mean, who knows? But Samson Johnson is much more fit to play against the athletic Texas than Klingon was, and it showed. Obviously, he played like what 27 minutes. Samson did. He had 15 points, a career high, eight rebounds. I mean. It felt like every time he gets the ball, he just he's a magnet to the rim. He dunks it. It's like I've never seen anything like it, especially a guy who really wasn't a factor at all the first two years here. All of a sudden, he's like the most efficient offensive player on the team. That kind of came a surprise to me. But he had his coming out party, and I think it's, it's not going to be the last time he's going to be in double figures and have a huge impact. No, absolutely not. I mean, he's... This isn't just a guy going off against the terrible non-con opponents. That was number 15, Texas, and he was just getting around the screens, doing everything well against them, even Indiana too. But he's he's really a special player. I mean, I'm not going to say he's better than Klingon because he's not, but I do feel like he's got a lot of ceiling, especially for a team like next year's team where Klingon's obviously going to be gone and we didn't recruit another big for the 2024 class. So I feel like Samson's going to be one of, if not the biggest part of this team next year. And I think that the fact that he's getting run now is really, really good. And he's showing why he was in that starting lineup. But also just the fact that he decided to stay here. Like I saw on Twitter last night that a bunch of coaches were trying to get Hurley to like let him leave UConn, but Hurley convinced him to stay. And I'm honestly thrilled that he did that. Yeah, and we've definitely seen this a few times before. A name that comes to mind is Isaiah Whaley uh, with how he kind of stuck around a year or two and 
you know, eventually cracked his way into the lineup. And before he knew it, he was the wrench. He was one of our most important players. So, I mean, just Samson's versatility and everything he's learned over the past few years, having to kind of learn new roles. I mean, last year he was more of a spot-up shooter in the corner whenever he came in. This year, I mean, I, I haven't even, I don't think he's taken a three yet. So he's come in, he's, you know, playing aggressive. Kids got ridiculous bounce and just around the rim. You love to see that, especially with someone who's starting like Klingon, who isn't necessarily that high flyer. You know, it's great to have both kind of perspectives. Yeah, I was worried on that one lob I mentioned from Diara. First of all, it was a crazy play. Like, Diara threw it up. Samson wasn't even at the free throw line yet. I mean, that's just the chemistry there was ridiculous. And he landed live. It looked really bad. But they show the replay. He kind of caught himself on his wrist. He braced himself. But just he looks like, I don't know, a pterodactyl out there or something. Just the way he runs, the way he moves. It's just, it it looks a little weird, but it works. It's like, he's just, he has such long limbs. And obviously, he's just a huge impact to this team. And this brings up a discussion I brought up because I saw it a couple episodes ago, how potentially this year's center duo could be better than last year's. And, I mean, I, I still don't believe it yet, but I feel like come back to this, it's a, November 22nd, come back to this March 22nd, there's a chance if Klingon emerges the way he really hasn't reached the potential we all think he can. Yet so far this year, I don't think he's at a. He, I don't think he's been at hundred percent. Yeah, I saw he had a was dealing with some sort of illness over the weekend. That's why he was kind of a little ineffective. But I feel like if we revisit this topic in a few months, there's a chance of Klingon reaches that potential and Samson stays. Maybe not. We're not I'm not expecting fifteen and eight every night, but if he stays close to that, there's a chance that Johnson and Klingon could be better than Sonogo and Klingon from last year. I'm not ruling it out. And I have a weird sneaking suspicion that Samson Johnson is on the radar of a lot of NBA teams. I know that might just be a little bias uh, from me here and us, but if you look at today's NBA bigs, they're all either like Carl Anthony Towns, who spread the floor, like Nikola Jokic, who can spread the floor and play in the post, or there's a lot of Robert Williams out there, a lot of Mitchell Robinsons, a lot of Kristaps Porzingis, who love to fly towards the rim and love to come off picks and can catch lobs a mile away. And I see a lot of those NBA bigs, especially Mitchell Robinson inside of Samson Johnson. And Samson Johnson can stretch the floor. I don't see why, you know, maybe not this year, but possibly next year, if he can stay healthy, why aren't teams looking at him? Why can't he go to the NBA? And, of course, he has to play consistently throughout the season. But I think he definitely has all the tools to possibly even be better than Klingon. Yeah, the NBA with him was my next topic. I was a little hesitant to bring it up, but since you did, I'll go into it. I saw a comparison made with another Husky who's kind of similar. I think this other Husky is a little better because he averaged over three blocks per game his final season. But Hilton Armstrong in the 2006 NBA draft, well, in his senior year, I have his stats up here. I'm looking at him. He averaged nine points and six and a half rebounds. But the three years before that, he'd never eclipsed four points or four rebounds per game, kind of like Samson. But he averaged nine, six, and three blocks, which I think also is why he was picked so high. He was picked in the lottery in the 2006 draft. He was picked 12th overall. I'm not saying Samson will be a lottery pick, but I feel like teams value big guys that can that are athletic, that can finish lobs, like you said. I mean, in I feel like we're at the point, like, where a guy off our bench could potentially go pro like that. I mean, obviously in years past, 
we don't have the level of talent where that even be a consideration, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Samson get drafted at some point. I, I saw, I feel like he's always had the talent, but now he's getting the chance to showcase it. And yeah, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. We've seen it before. I mean, even at a UConn player such as Isaiah Whaley, he went to the G League. I mean, if Isaiah Whaley can make it to the G League, I really believe that a player like Samson could be a, you know, probably a late 20 to 30 first round draft pick. And I honestly feel like it speaks volumes just to the team that we've become, like you said, a guy going pro off the bench. It's also a huge, you know, thing for Caravan and for Klingon and, you know, the guy starting in front of them, it's motivation. And I honestly think that's why they're so good. They push each other so well. Now I want to talk about the rotation a little bit. I feel like we talk about rotations a lot on this podcast, but we saw it was pretty much a seven-man rotation against Texas. It was the starting five of Newton Ball, Caravan, Spencer, Klingon, and then D.R. and Johnson off the bench. Stewart played, what, three, four minutes. He wasn't really a factor. I feel like our eight-man rotation is pretty much set for, like, big games down this like down the stretch in the season, obviously. The seven names I just mentioned and then add in Stefan Castle, which I feel like those eight, I've, it, the bench is a little worse than last year. I mean, I actually might not be if Samson's this good and Diara is playing the way he's been playing, but I feel like on paper it's a fair assessment to say it's a little worse than last year's national championship group. But I feel like I'm confident in this eight to be any team in the country, especially I was watching number one Kansas last night. I, I forget, I'm blanking who they play. They play Marquette, obviously. I don't know why I was blanking on that. They look pretty beatable. They just beat Tennessee a few minutes ago. So, but I feel like if they're number one, I feel like we match up against them pretty well. I feel like I'm not saying we'll beat them in Lawrence next week, but it's certainly a possibility. I mean, they're not that deep. They have a guy, Nick Timberlake, off the bench who's been struggling. We're all familiar with him. But, yeah, I feel like this team, especially with the talent we got at the top, can be any team in the country. It's a weird topic to talk about because last year I feel like our our bench of Diara, Calcaterra, Aline, Johnson and Klingon could have been better. He was probably better than like DePaul, Butler, St. John's, all of their starting lineups. So, you know, when your bench five is better than a lot of teams starting five, you know, you got a damn good team. But this year it's like last year's only problem was that the bench was sometimes way too inconsistent, but you don't need that big of a bench in college basketball. You got your five main guys and then a couple of guys off the bench. You just need consistency. And that's really what we've had so far with Johnson and Diara is just consistency. Like, we don't need 12 good guys off the bench. We just need the three or four that we've got to be consistent. And that's what we've got this year. And that's what's kind of different from this team than last year's. I definitely think you hit it right on the head with the consistency. You don't need a big bench. And we've seen it over and over. You just need, I mean, even in college and in the pros, you need probably seven or eight guys be entirely honest and you need guys who are going to go out there and give you good minutes and UConn is just so full of that they have so many good guys who give you good minutes Caravan uh Castle when he's healthy anybody Klingon uh even Camp Spencer has been fantastic for us it's it's just a matter of these guys staying healthy which has seemed like a bit of an issue so far but if they can then I don't see why they can't make another deep run yeah, just looking at the minutes from Texas, which was the second a back-to-back, second day of a back-to-back. Newton played 39 minutes. I think he sat for 30 seconds. Caravan, 37 minutes. Like, these guys can play. And guys like Stewart and Ross, who 
we've all figured, and they were at the back end of the rotation, like in that nine to ten slot in the first few non-conference games. They obviously Hurley's leaning Stewart over Ross, but there's not much there. He's only playing three minutes as opposed to zero. But we're gonna need those guys to still like be ready down the stretch because, like we mentioned with the injuries, who knows? Like we're gonna need Ross or Stewart if Castle's out for an extended period of time, which he's not supposed to be. As they mentioned on the broadcast, I don't remember which one. I think the Texas broadcast that he actually is trying to come back for Kansas, which is a lot earlier than I expected. He had a small procedure on his knee. I was honestly expecting him to be out until Big East play. I mean, just just to be careful with him. But if he thinks he can be back for Kansas, then even if it's just for a few minutes, just to I, I guess you don't really want to get your feet wet in that game. You'd really want to be more 100%, but just to give a few minutes, the value he brings would be huge. I'm not expecting him to come back and play 35 minutes at Allen Fieldhouse, but getting him back would be massive, but my original point, we need Stewart and Ross to be ready. Even a guy like Apostolos, he knocked down a three late in that Indiana game. I'm not saying he'll, I don't think he'll get the run over Stewart or Ross, but he played a little bit against Mississippi Valley State, like we mentioned. He's an option this year. He wasn't really an option last year, but the depth outside of the depth, if that makes sense, is important. That's something we 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 have better this year than last year, and that's that's really important to have for if you want to make a deep championship run. And I think a guy we haven't really talked about too much, a guy who very quietly had double figures each game, Cam Spencer. He's more than a shooter. He's kind of impressed me in that regard. I, I envisioned him as a guy who'd be taking. 10 threes a game and that's it. He wouldn't be doing any driving. He had 16 points against Texas and he had 18 against Indiana. You could, you could tell me he didn't finish double figures either game. And I'd believe you that's how quiet his impact was, but he's the exact guy this team needed losing Jordan Hawkins. If you say that every episode, I think we're going to keep on saying that he losing Hawkins and Joey and a lean from three, having Cam Spencer come in, even if he only makes two, just, the threat he is out there, he keeps defenders on the perimeter. They're not going to leak off of him because if they kick it out to him, he's drilling it. That's massive to have for a team, especially – obviously, Newton's a good shooter. He's not a primary three-point threat. Caravan kind of is, but he's also more of a forward. We need that guard that can consistently knock down the three and be a threat, and that's Spencer, and he's going to be the X factor for this team down the stretch. I mean, yeah, he's he's going to be used more, I feel like, now – than ever because Caravan, I think in the Indiana game missed three threes in a row. So, you know, obviously you don't want that, but I feel like Spencer's just more consistent. I mean, he waits, he doesn't take any dumb shots. Like I love Caravan and I'm so happy he made it. But I mean, that shot was from almost a logo. One of them that he hit in the Texas game. I mean, I don't want to see him taking those all the time because I'm not that confident that he can make them, but we just – I am really happy we got Spencer because he's really consistent. He is more than just a shooter. He's a good passer too. But more than anything, just a consistent three-point shooter we need because even last year we didn't have necessarily a consistent three-point guy as much as a lot of people think we did. We we really didn't. So I'm happy Spencer's here though, way more than, than Timberlake. The thing is with these guys, and, you know, they needed Spencer at the end of the day because you have probably – four or five guys who just feed off of each other. And if one of them isn't going one night, you still got three or four other guys who are going to hit their shots. And if you look back to March, 
to now from the preseason, Indiana, Texas, and whatnot. These games don't start off as massacres or blowouts at all. But as the game goes on, we just pull farther and farther away, and it doesn't really get closer. I'll notice we'll be up by like seven or eight at halftime. And then at the 10 minute, we'll be up by 13. And then at the end of the game, we'll be up by 18 or 20 points. And it's like that every single game. And it's just ridiculously impressive. And you don't even really notice. But the way Hurley coaches these guys is just outstanding. Uh, We don't give him enough credit. We love to talk about the players. You know, that's the fun stuff. But, you know, the Carpenter has done a fantastic job just building this team and building a group of guys who are as consistent as they are and, you know, make these games not close. Yeah, definitely. You look at the Texas game. I mean, they had a ridiculous start. Like, Texas coach, they had to call two timeouts in less than eight minutes. We were up 24 to 11, less than eight minutes into the game. I mean, but credit to Texas. They kind of pulled back. They cut it to four late in the second half. That's when Alex Caravan took over, hit back-to-back like buzzer beaters almost, like these tough contested mid-range shots to really keep us alive and down the stretch, just hitting the free throws is huge. Cam Spencer hit some late to clinch that double digit victory, which it felt like it should have, we should have beat them by more, but obviously, like I said, credit to them. They, they fought hard. Texas They're They're a good team. I don't think they should drop too much because, because of the reason I mentioned they didn't have their bigs. They have another guy, Dylan Dessou, who's been out all year so far. He'd be their starting power forward. And he was the big 12 tournament uh, MVP last year they said on the broadcast so obviously having not having him and the guy who scored almost 30 points that's big for them they were very thin in the front court but Texas is a good team that's going to be a really good win I think come March I think they have a chance to be a top 10 by that time speaking of good wins or in general when does this team lose its first game just straight up, I want to hear what you guys think. I remember we had this talk last year, and then I I can't remember what our first – I think it was Xavier was yeah. our first loss in December. Uh, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know. It's tough. It very well could be number one, can, or number one Kansas, but, I mean, that's not really the fun answer. Kansas, if you beat Kansas, you're going to be – I don't know. You don't – it just it's so hard to tell. But I feel like if you're answering safe, you have to say Kansas. Because then if you beat Kansas, I, I don't think you're losing to UNC or Gonzaga. And then anything could really happen in the Big East. I'd say if we make it through preseason undefeated, our first loss could be St. John's. Uh, that's, you know, a weird one. But new coach Rick Pitino, they got a better team than last year, and they beat us last year. So my crazy answer is St. John's, but my safe answer is Kansas. <laughs> I mean, that's fair, honestly. Like, if we beat Kansas, that's going to give us a lot of a lot of uh, confidence. I remember, I don't know when we had the conversation, but it must have been late because we said – I remember my answer from last year, and it was the game at Marquette, which we lost, so I was kind of half wrong, but it wasn't our first loss. But I don't know. It's, it's weird because if we beat Kansas, obviously I think we beat UNC, Gonzaga too. Those aren't at their home stadiums. And then after that, I mean – We've got, I'm trying to think here, Gonzaga. And then we go right into Big East play. It's a really weird, weird um, kind of narrative to think about when we would lose. But 
Oh, man. I mean, when do we play at Marquette? I mean, I feel like that's the only real team I see giving us trouble in the in the Big East this year. But I'd either I'd have to go Kansas or we just get really hot and lose at Marquette. That's that'll be my definitive answer. My thing with this Kansas game is that this is our first real big road test. And I feel like playing down in Kansas is much different than playing at Marquette playing at Providence or playing at Xavier, which we have struggled with mightily in the past. So I, I feel like, you know, it, it wouldn't be surprised if we go to Kansas and get routed or we just lose a close one. But uh, I, 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 would, I would bet Kansas. That would be my, my safe pick. Yeah, I agree. Kansas certainly is an option. But I feel like we can beat them Look, watching them the past couple of days. I already said this. But I don't know if, Andrew, that was your official – at Marquette prediction, we're looking at March 6th. We're looking at the second to last game of the year. Looking at the schedule, I have it up here. We play – Never mind. Yeah, yeah. We play a fairly easy schedule at the beginning of Big East play. We don't go to Korean until late February. Don't go to Marquette until March 6th. And the game after that's at Providence. Those are arguably our three hardest road games. And you remember last year, our three hardest road games – or three of our hardest road games were like the first three or four games of Big East play when we started that overall slump. So not saying we're going to have another slump, but if we do, it could be headed into the Big East tournament right at the end there. But I guess I'll make an official guess. I'll go Gonzaga. I feel like going out to Seattle, even though it's a neutral site game, it's still, they're a tough team to beat, even though they lost yesterday or the day before. I forget who they played in the Maui. It was a good game, whoever it was, but they're a tough team. They're always tough, even though we blew them out last year. I feel like, I also think they'll get a can and will potentially lose to Kansas, but I'll go with Gonzaga for my official official guess. But another side guess, I think Kansas is when the double digit streak ends. I'd be shocked, genuinely shocked if they go in the Allen Fieldhouse and win by double digits. That's just not happening. But before that Kansas game, we got a Manhattan game, a thriller at the XL Center on Black Friday. The, the Jaspers pick close to the bottom of the Mac. It's it's gonna be a, a massacre by the Huskies. Thirty point win. But we'll have some fun here. We'll do our usual players to watch. You guys want to go first? Any either of you? Yeah, I've got a very specific one. You know, it's gonna be my first game of the year. I know Connor's already been to every single one, but this is gonna be my first game of the year in person. Very excited. Uh, as always, you see me. Don't be afraid to say hello. I'll be wearing Tyrese Martin's shoes, as always. But my guy for this one is gonna be solo. I mean, I'm going to go with him. Castle's not back. Non-con. I'm, I'm not going to call it a revenge game for Mississippi State. It's not like we lost that one. But they're going to be hungry to get a, another huge 40-point win in front of the home crowd. So I'm going to go with solo ball. To, ready for this? To get a double-double against Manhattan. There's my hot take for the episode. My guy is Samson. Uh, I feel like he's honestly just the player to watch because he's so fun to watch. So exciting. And it seems like, you know, the guys are starting to trust him more towards the rim. So I feel like we could see some cool highlights. I don't know how, <laughs> what his numbers will look like, but I feel like we'll definitely see some cool plays out of him. Yeah, with Samson, he could easily have six points and three rebounds and have two plays in the sports center top 10. But I'm going to go with his, his not opponent, his, his partner, Klingon, down low. Obviously, he didn't have 
the best weekend at MSG. I want to see how he responds to that. I, I feel like he's a guy less of a bull take than Andrew's solo ball double-double. Klingon will have a double-double in this one. Even if he only plays 20 minutes, I think he can do it. Uh, this kind of reminds me of the LIU game last year where he shot like 10 for 10 from the field and had 21 points off the bench in like 15 minutes. I'm not saying he's going to do that again, but I think he's due for – he hasn't really broken out yet. Like I said, he hasn't even hit 20 points. He's been consistently in that 10 to 15 range. We've had Caravan hit 20, Spencer hit 20, Newton hit 20. I don't think Castle quite hit it either of his games, but I think Klingon, that's, I guess, a hot take. I'll go hot take. Klingon gets his first 20 point game of the season. And I think, unless you guys got anything else, that'll do it here for this kind of Empire Classic wrap up, Manhattan preview talk about kansas when we'll lose episode don't know what i'll really call it but it's gonna be exciting to see this team potentially most likely break that record for double digit non-conference wins in a row it's it's crazy to think about when you look back at it especially because i did it out we played like 11 or 12 like good teams in that it's not all cupcakes like good teams is like power five plus like St. Mary's and Gonzaga and San Diego State, obviously teams that are as good as Power Fives, but it's really impressive. And there's a reason no one's no one's done it before because it's really hard to do. So like we said, we credit the players, but like Matt said, you got to credit Hurley and the staff for all, what they've done. They've put the guys in the position to win every single game and do it in dominant fashion. And I'm excited to see them break that streak next week against New Hampshire. But I think that'll do it here for episode 46. I don't know. When our next one will be. I don't know if we'll do one between Manhattan and New Hampshire. I don't know if it'll really be worth it, but we'll definitely do one after New Hampshire before the Kansas game previewing that one. So odds are that'll be our next episode. So we'll see you then. Thanks for watching.